Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. <laughs> Yay! I'm your host, David Michael. I'm here with... David, David. <laughs> I'm here with Tony, Mo, and Trip. How are you guys doing? Good, man. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. I wanted to do have a little bit of fun with this episode. Um, this is called the Google episode. Yeah. And basically, the whole idea is to just kind of pick some random things to Google and come up with answers for them. So good. good. I'm good at random. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be completely random, off the wall things. Like. How long does it take for this rash to go away? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> Three to five days. We like change your socks. You answered that way too fast, man. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> this will be this will be stuff like uh, why do my ears ring after a loud you know a loud show or a concert? What? Where does it? Huh? Huh? What? Where does the term rave come from? That kind of stuff. So just kind of random bits of trivia that okay. you know people might not be familiar with, and but will be helpful to you on your DJ journey. Well, and well, some of them, some of them will be just completely off the wall. <laughs> yeah, just minutia. <laughs> yeah, you know, stuff to put into your trivia bank for when yeah. you're on Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, if you get that thousand dollar question right, we want some juice off of that. What is tinnitus? <laughs> what? Huh? <laughs> I'll take swords for a hundred, Alex. <laughs> S words. <laughs> We're referring to starting out live. Yes, yes. Um, before we get too far into that, though, uh, we we received a comment on. So there's uh, there's this article on passionatedj.com, how to become a DJ. Pretty popular article. <clears throat> So it gets a lot of comments, and this was one that somebody brought in. And uh, I hope I can kind of defer to you, Mo, because I think that you might have something to, to say here. This comes from Andrea Suzanne. She says, hi, first great site. Really impressed how much you're willing to pass on, as clearly you are an expert. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm not necessarily looking to become a major player in the DJ world. I own a fitness studio. I love to dance and have a knack for making killer playlists to teach my fitness classes to. I think it would be cool to offer some live DJ mixed classes for yoga, and I want to do it. Typically, yoga is non-vocal music, but good solid beats you can sync your breath and your movement to. I make most of my playlists for my other exercise <coughs> classes, spin, Pilates, etc., on Spotify with their library and my own iTunes library imported in. I find some good remixed things on SoundCloud or MixCloud or just random DJ sites. I use my Apple MacBook to play from and have a professionally set up audio mixer and JBL Pro speakers, wireless mic, etc. So I have gear, just not sure where to go now. Simple DJ software, any other thoughts or ideas that you might have? So th that's kind of cool. This is kind of one of those unique kind of DJ gigs. We, we spend yeah. so much time talking about the nightclub and, and even you know mobile wedding gigs and stuff, but this is kind of a different kind of mobile gig where uh, I think Mo might relate because you do these CrossFit gigs. So can you maybe kind of explain again, you know, how, how those work and what you do? And then do you maybe have some, if some advice for her on how she could apply some of what you've learned? Sure. So one of the major areas where I do most of my DJing is sporting events and primarily CrossFit. So CrossFit is a combination of whether it be uh, bodyweight movements such as uh, pull-ups, push-ups, uh, handstand push-ups, gym some gymnastics movements, as well as Olympic uh, weightlifting like snatches and clean and jerks, uh, and even simple things like lifting heavy stones. And it's all put in a different combination um, with different rep schemes. 
So you might lift a certain weight a certain amount of times in a certain time cap. And vomit. And lots vomit. And lots yeah. of lots vomit. Lots of vomit afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and and crying and, and, and pleading with a fetal di- position. With <laughs> right, multiple right. deities. <clears throat> so I share a backyard with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Still waiting for you to come over. <laughs> yeah, when you guys stop vomiting. <laughs> it was I only kid. one time, guys. Yeah, I kid, I kid. So <laughs> Generally, what my goal is during that event is to play music that's kind of goes in time with what it is they're doing. So if they're doing like something that requires for them to get a certain amount of work done in a short period of time, I'll play something at a higher BPM, um, maybe something a little bit more aggressive, um, it, and maybe with some vocals. Or if it's something that they have to do a medium amount of work, but for a longer period of time, then I'll drop the BPMs down and I'll go to something that's maybe just instrumental or I usually primarily stick, stick to, to house tracks when it comes to stuff like that, because they have to get in a cadence and they have to get in a rhythm and they don't want their heart rates to get too high, but they want to be able to sustain the amount of work. Or if it's something where they have to lift something really heavy once or twice, I'll just go straight to the metal, you know, something really aggressive, really thrashy to try and get them to lift that weight up really quick and lift as much as they possibly can. So, that's a little bit different than what Andrea is talking about here, because I don't know that you'd want to play some Metallica while you're in the downward dock. <laughs> so um, it sounds like you kind of have a general idea of what type of music goes well with what it is that your your athletes are doing during these sessions. Now, as far as software, um, basically kind of go with what you can afford. There's a lot of free options out there. Or a lot of inexpensive options. Um, I don't know if there's something you want to do, like in terms of a mixer, or if you want to do like I do during your yoga uh, classes and actually uh, mix live. Um, but to be completely honest, I'd really like to talk to you if you're hopefully you're listening, um, or shoot me an email. Do I have an email yet, Dave? You will. Okay, I will. Hopefully by the time this is published. But um, honestly, the best way I could probably help you, I was just like maybe we can do a Skype talk or something and. And I'd really like to help you out because I think having music incorporated with fitness and especially with live DJing, I think kind of adds an element to what it is that you have going on. Because I actually went out to my um, box this morning or what you call a CrossFit gym and I played some live music and I actually put a picture of what I was working with today underneath the comment that she posted. So kind of seeing what I subject my people to. (laughs) So not only am I a DJ, I'm a coach too. So I make them puke. Right. Not really. I don't make a piece. Yes, you do. <laughs> so one thing, I mean, when you're when you're doing the CrossFit gigs, are you are you uh, beat matching tracks together, stringing them together? Yes. So that, okay. Yes, I I, I I treat it like as if I'm in a club, watching a bunch of people dance around, and if what I'm playing isn't working, if I don't see people getting in tune with what I'm playing, I'll I'll adjust it, either go up or down. Um, also kind of looking at the crowd to see if they're uh, picking up what I'm putting down uh, because for them, these competitions tend to be kind of long, so I don't mm-hmm. want them to be bored either. Right. So uh, I try and create an experience like one of my mentors, uh, Chris Kepler, told me who runs a CrossFit Central out of Austin, Texas. He said create an experience because all those people are there for something, give them something to be entertained by. Yep. Now she's the yoga instructor? Yes. Um, I was just wondering how she's going to be the yoga instructor and if she's that's looking for software, yeah, if she's looking for a software to actually like DJ with, 
how are you going to do both? Right. So, yeah, that's a good that's, point. That, well, so, and that's where well, my mind was starting to go because, like, it, <clears throat> I mean, so at that point, there's two options. You either bring somebody in to be the DJ mm-hmm. or if, if you're looking at software, like he said, there's there's a bunch of different, like... Uh, Fire? Serato? Uh, yeah, Serato. Pyro. 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 Yep, yep. Sorry. Um, that's exactly where my head went. Yeah. But, you know, first thing. There's also another one called Media Monkey. There's a couple of other ones that... Like, um, we'll do track lists and then, you know, either fade out, you know, and fade in, you know, from one track to another. But, you know, the, the pyro thing, I mean, me and Gina played with it quite a bit, you know, uh, on, on her iPad and stuff. And I mean, it, it does a pretty darn good job as far as beat matching and blending and stuff like that. So, and, and so if you're not super into to DJing, if this is kind of a new world for you, what we're talking about there with beat matching is basically matching some set of the, the beats of the outgoing track with, the track that's coming in so that there's never a break in the music. Right. It's and more it's, blended. It's blended yeah. and the, the beats kind of work together so that you just have a constant tempo no matter what. If that's important for the type of exercise classes that you're doing, then like Tripp said, either you can hire a DJ to do that or if you, you know, maybe you work on a team and you have that kind of freedom to be able to do that right. um, and you want to kind of do it manually, then um, you could invest in a very simple, like a basic budget DJ controller. You can go to passionatedj.com forward slash controllers for our recommendations on that. Um, or Serato Pyro is one great example of software that will kind of do this for you to where all you have to do is create the playlist and it does the rest of the work for you for the most part. I mean, it's not going to be exactly the same as a, as a club DJ performing, right, but right. it will get the job done and it will keep the tempo steady and all that kind exactly. of stuff. Yeah, if I remember correctly, you just basically make a playlist and then it puts everything in line by BPM. Um, so you can effect. arrange you it. You can arrange it, yeah. Okay. Like, and you can arrange it on the fly and all of that. So, so uh, you want to try to get them in the same ballpark when you're creating the playlist, and that, that would still be kind of your... DJ-esque task as you're planning that out to be able to to build that playlist in a progression that makes sense for however you've structured that that event, class that right, class right, right. right. yeah because that was where that one of the things that when we tested out pyro that's one of the places where it fell kind of flat when you're going from you know 128 you know house beat to 172 bpm drum and bass track and then it was just like okay just yeah done with this one now this one yeah but at the same time if you have a transition in your class that's like that where you're okay yeah. we're ending this segment now we're going to such and such you know right. like when mo goes to to metallica right. you know right it probably doesn't blend that together it's, exactly. there's a there's an end and then something and then new something is starting, starting. Yeah, so right. it'll still work for that yep. you know exactly. so um, it, it's hard to make probably specific, really specific recommendations. Yeah, without talking. But but the but, good thing about that, just by what we said here, is there are plenty of options. Oh, yeah. And we're more than happy to help you try and figure that out. Another thing to do, um, possibly reach out or research some DJs. Um, there was, uh, I was talking to a girl that's actually a yoga instructor. She was over at the house talking with my girlfriend, and I was playing... Um, it was a boiler room set. It was Maceoplex. Mm. And she had never heard of Maceoplex, you mm-hmm. know, unless you're a connoisseur. Most people don't. Right, but right. she said, wow, I could really use that in my, yoga, that class, in my yeah. yoga class. And it's the whole set. So if you research some DJs and sets that are out there, you could possibly, you know, find a place to download those sets or even stream them during your uh, during your session. You know, yeah, sure. Yep. Yeah, there's any number of ways, just depending on how involved you want to get. You know, are you interested in becoming a DJ for this reason, or do you just want to accomplish the task? 
then you know there's these are probably some of the options that that you could go down you could you could fully automate it or you could there's even some fully DJs. hire it out <laughs> yeah there's some djs that are willing to probably do a mix just for you to play during yeah. your mm-hmm. show so they can get their name out there yeah i've yeah. actually got a yeah. couple of friends in the crossfit world they're asking me to put together um just mixes for them i'm like yeah sure just tell me what you want and i can build it yep awesome all right. Well, thank you for that comment, and Good hopefully luck. that was helpful. Um, if you have any more specific questions, uh, definitely get in contact with Mo. You can get a hold of him at mo at passionatedj.com. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm he'd be glad now. to give you some more specific advice because you guys are kind of operating in the same in a similar world, you yeah, know, right. kind of different type of gig, but same idea. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. The Google episode. <clears throat> Do you guys know why your ears ring? After a loud show, after a concert, after uh, f- being a little too close to fireworks or a shotgun. Because you just damaged your hearing. You, well, that is true. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> right? That's just my opinion. Well, if you want to go really don't easy know definition, the technical yeah. <laughs> reason, but... <clears throat> well, it's, uh, it's a temporary bout of tinnitus, right? Mm-hmm. So that's when you... Basically, when you perceive sound that has no external source. Now, the... Uh, I've listed all the the sources of where I got this information on Google. This one's BuzzFeed. All right, I know. I'm not claiming BuzzFeed to be like the end-all source here, but they provided a nice, succinct answer here. So Why don't you just go and quote Wikipedia, David? Yeah. Oh, there's, an, there's a Wikipedia on here, too. That's or Urban I'm Dictionary. Thinking. That one's next. Don't worry. Um, so when you're hearing a sound that has no external source, that's called tinnitus. That's usually ringing. You can pronounce yeah. it tinnitus yeah. as well. And that, that can, occur, can occur after sustained loudness. A common cause is damage to the tiny hair cells in your inner ear. So first sound travels through your cochlea. That's the little pink snail-like object in your ear. Over time, your ear's microscopic, microscopic cells become irreversibly damaged. The hair cells vibrate when they encounter sound waves and transmit those nerve signals to your brain. When those cells get destroyed, your brain doesn't get the messages it expects, so it creates phantom signals to compensate. That's according to Harvard Medical School. Mm-hmm. So at least there's a little cred there. Right? I, um, <laughs> Just a little bit. A little. So basically you hear sound that isn't there. Speaking on um, personal, because I do have tinnitus, um, the easiest way to explain what you just said in a medical sense is you ever go to a loud show, you leave the show and your ears are ringing. Imagine that ringing never going away, that high-pitched But to a, to a lesser... Degree, like degree, when, yeah, you, when you leave a show, that's that's pretty. That's that's a pretty it's loud. Fresh. It's and, like a yeah, fresh yeah, wound, and yeah. you know, I I I don't know how to compare like what my experience it's with it. It's more yours, in but, the background, right, right, right. Like, like if you're not at a loud show, you still hear it and perceive the sound, right. But it's not as loud as it would be just exactly. leaving the show. And, and there's and there's varying degrees of it. So I'm not sure where you, you are with yours exactly. But like you know, for me, ninety percent of my day, I, I it doesn't bother me. I don't really notice it. When I notice it is if I'm in a quiet room or if I'm laying in a in in bed and there's not a TV on or yeah. a fan or something you know to to kind of take up that area of the spectrum uh, of the sound spectrum. So. Um, but 
you know, when I leave a show and that, that ringing is there and then it's just like, it never quite goes away. It's so much quieter that, you know, you, like I said, you just don't really notice it throughout the rest of your day, but it's the quiet room. It's your worst enemy. (laughs) It's horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah. For me, it's when it's the quieter it is, the, the more noticeable it becomes. Yeah. Yeah. The CDC and yeah, the CDC conducted a survey about this. And they estimated that 50 million Americans experience some form of tinnitus, which you has know, no cure. Right. Well, and, and and that they've been talking about that since the 90s, at least. Yeah. Because you know, if you think about it, you know, all of our music went to you know Walkmans and Discmans and iPods and now our phones and all of these things. Well, and the volume. You know, just keeps getting louder. And when, uh, well, don't per- forget when we were packing like four 12 inches in the back in our trunks. Well, right, you know, right. When we were teenagers. Right, right. And then, <clears throat> and as time goes on, mastering uh, techniques have changed dramatically. You know, if you look at sound waves from music back in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s and 60s, you yeah. know, all of these waveforms have a lot more shape to them. And nowadays, you know, every every studio is just ramming everything through heavy compression, heavy, heavy limiting. And what that does is that increases perceived volume. It's you know, the wall of sound. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and, and so what all of these tracks come out looking like are, are Lego bricks, you know, when you look at their waveforms. So, you know, we're, we're increasing perceived loudness and then we are increasing the ability for our devices to cram loudness in and then when you add in all of the other noise that's around us all the time trucks and planes and you know ever you know trains and everything else yeah i mean it, I, I have no doubt that and when you're listening to the going. earbuds and those earbuds are closer to your eardrum because they're inside mm, your right. ear it's right and the actual shows are getting louder and louder and louder all the 50, time Fifty thousand watts of sound <laughs> 50,000 watts ain't nothing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember when that was the tag from a, a, a hard house track. 50,000 um, watts of power. And I'm like, that's like excision, like completely 300,000, 300,000 <laughs> right. watts of base, base, base. Right. Yep. <laughs> so how to protect yourself? Earplugs, earplugs, earplugs. And it doesn't matter if it's those little foamy two, you know, 25 cent things or, or mm-hmm. if you... You know, if you go all in and, and get yourself a nice pair of custom fit, couple hundred dollar, you know, things, that, uh, uh, inner ear monitors that, you know, help, you know, uh, keep things, uh, keep the sound clear, but at a lower volume, you know, all, it, it doesn't matter how you do it, but it, I mean, take Protect it from, ears. Yeah. yeah, take it from people who, who are experiencing it. Like I said, most of the time where I'm at with it doesn't bother me but that's one thing that scares me because when i do notice it it drives me nuts. yeah when you're trying yeah. to chill when you're trying <laughs> to just like chill and get away from everything yep. that is the one thing that's still there yep. yeah and for, for me i just obviously advocating but the the ones i find are the most effective are the military grade ones mm-hmm. sure. those are the ones that mm-hmm. i that you see you guys see me wearing it shows right. those things i mean i can hear what i need to hear without getting those highs yeah and just you know shrieking through you know my head just stabbing what me do you do here. just grab a handful every time you go to the range or perhaps <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say you're not buying them at the px are you <laughs> perhaps <laughs> now all that being said they they 
the technology for earplugs has come a long way Absolutely. and they do have and you know, we've mentioned this before there are earplugs which will just attenuate the sound and, right. and are supposed to not muffle it in the same way and, and that is to say they don't just cut out all the highs and all you hear is the, the you know the lower half of the right. spectrum yeah. right. um, so that you know they're more expensive you can get them custom made and that sort of thing but uh, the article says concert goers may be cultural resist culturally resistant to them, but you should seriously reconsider passing them up as lame. Chronic tinnitus can be debilitating and require audio masking or therapy to manage it. And that was the other thing I wanted to bring up before we move on to the next search term is that um, they're they're making some headway in in treatment of it by tricking your brain. Yeah, you know, and it's it's really it's really interesting stuff. But what they can do is they can dial in to you know certain frequencies that they're shooting into your ear and basically it's the equivalent of phase cancellation you know yeah. they 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 <laughs> tune into the frequency that you are hearing you know the ringing from and then they play an inverted uh, version yeah, of that or something right and and, and and you know over time if you do it enough it tricks your brain into <laughs> saying oh you know, that's not actually there. So it just ignores it. Yeah. yeah. It just ignores it. That's so cool. But I mean, you know, and, and the You're older, still missing that little spectrum. Now, exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and for what it's worth, you know, the older you get, the more your, your natural, you know, yes. band of, of hearing just kind of degrades anyway, you know? So like people who are in their like mid thirties to mid forties or, uh, you know, they, they should be hearing highs somewhere between 15 and 17,000. But yeah, to your point, <coughs> if you're, if you're hearing that, you know, right at about, you know, 16 two, <laughs> that's gotta go. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I had a, we had a family friend who, who had, had that problem particularly bad with the high end of the spectrum mm. as mm-hmm. far as just not just, it had degraded to a point where, where you didn't realize it. Cause it, she heard things fine. Like you could have a conversation with her mm-hmm. and she was, huh? Huh? It wasn't any of that. Right. But a certain frequency or bandwidth. Yeah. There was just a certain bandwidth of frequencies that she couldn't hear. And we didn't realize it until, uh, I had created a song, terrible song, very amateur song I made probably 15 years ago. Awful song, but it had this, <laughs> it had this beeping sound in it. And it was not very high. I mean, it was like a high pitched sine wave, but it was just beep, 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 about about that high. Yeah, it's terrible. And she, yeah, <laughs> and she couldn't. That was that track you were recording in the um, conference room, right? <laughs> but she couldn't she couldn't hear it at all and really? and i i don't even remember how it came up but the the husband of this person was commenting on the beep in the track and she was like what beep <laughs> and we're like we all just looked at each other like wait you what? can't hear that and so it just kind of made me wonder how like how much of the yeah. spectrum is missing there you know yeah, i had no, no idea all right next one is where does the term rave come from how far do you think that term goes back oh, now man. not just the word rave because that word has existed well, since like the 1300s right, right, right. But, oh, but but in, in in the term of uh, in the context we think of it as a you know music related kind of i if i remember reading something uh, along those lines right if i remember correctly um the source that i had read said something about like the psychedelic uh parties in the 1960s Mm -hmm. um 
and what was it? It was an acid jazz or something. I forget what genre or what, what type. I mean, it was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a maybe acid rock or something like that. But like there was a particular group of people that kind of like coined the term back in like the 60s. And it was all, of course, surrounded by the, <clears throat> the psychedelic movement. Yeah. yeah. So according to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> So they t- they take it back to the late 50s. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, they say, in the late 1950s in London, the term rave was used to describe the wild bohemian parties with the beatniks. Hmm. In 1958, Buddy Holly recorded the hit called Rave On, citing the madness and frenzy of a feeling and the desire for it to never end. The word rave was later used in the uh, mod culture, mm-hmm. and that was in the 60s, as a way to describe any kind of wild party. People who were gregarious party animals, as they put it, were described as ravers. Pop musicians such as Steve Marriott of the uh, the Small Faces and Keith Moon of the Who were self-described as ravers. Because some things never change, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, before the 1980s association with electronic music, the word rave was a common term used. Uh, regarding the music of mid-60s garage rock and psychedelia bands. Uh, I think that's what you're getting at there. Uh, Most notably, the Yardbirds, who released an album in the U.S. called Having a Rave Up. Uh, Along with being an alternative term for partying, such as garage events in general, the rave up, quote-unquote, referred to a specific crescendo moment near the end of a song where the music was played faster, more heavily, and with intense soloing or elements of controlled feedback. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the build-up in the drop, yeah, right? <laughs> Where's the drop? <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I can skip that part. Uh, the perception of the word changed again in the late 80s when the term was revived and adopted by a new youth culture, possibly inspired by the use of the term in Jamaica. Hmm. So there you go. Did it traceable all the way back to the 50s. Yeah. Who, who knew? Cool. The record for the longest DJ set. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Any Does guesses? Does Danny T still hold it? Nope. It's somebody you've never heard of, unless uh, you looked this up specifically. Uh, is it more than 24 hours? It is more uh, than 24. It's got to be at least 70. It's more than wow. 70. Yeah. It's more than 70 hours. One person? For, yeah, one person. Was there Jaeger involved? <laughs> <laughs> it's not Sonic Jaeger, Styles, right? right? Like, Sonic yeah. Styles. <laughs> Shout out to Sonic Styles. <laughs> Nah, Jaeger turns me into yawn. That's my yeah, I'm telling you, that's his, that's his gasoline, <laughs> man. Coke or meth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not in ex- any experience on that. Up but, on Mountain Dew. <laughs> right. So over 70 hours? Holy cannoli. Yeah. How many hours? Uh, so DJ Obi, he's a Nigerian DJ. And this was back in June of this past year. So oh, this wow. is a very recent record. He completed a 240-hour marathon. What? That's 240. It is 10 days. How is that possible without him going insane? <laughs> completed a 240-hour me- uh, marathon on the decks. <laughs> a methathon. Yeah, a methathon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Told you. Yes, yeah, I walked in the valley of the shadow of meth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Smashing the previous record of 200 hours set in Dublin by a Polish DJ. In November 2014. The record is yet to be ratified by the Guinness World Records team. This is from The Guardian as the source. Wow. Um, yet to be ratified by the Guinness World Records team, but Obi followed the rules for the DJing record. According to the BBC, he was allowed a five-minute break every hour, had to have someone dancing at all times, <clears throat> and could not repeat a song within four hours of playing it. 
He was allowed a one-hour break every 12 hours and was also allowed daily medical checks and massages and was allowed to take vitamin doses. I want that during so, my hour and a half set. <laughs> 200 hours. Okay, right. so he wasn't actually up for 200 hours. Yeah, he wasn't literally standing okay. there for so that long. So there was long, a little bit of humanity involved. A little bit, this. yeah. It, Not much. To huh. make sure he didn't literally die trying to break this record. That's not like Special Forces Selection Week. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, like, yeah, that's... People came to support the love, DJ Obi told the BBC. Schools came by with their students. Now, mind you, this is in Nigeria where people think partying is for irresponsible people. Direct quote. Hmm. Obi said he fought sleep deprivation by taking disco naps, closing his eyes for five seconds, but couldn't sleep because he would have been disqualified. He admitted he had been ready to give up after four or five days and had started hallucinating, but was encouraged to keep going in honor of his father. It became bigger than me, he said. Obi's set began on the 22nd of June and continued until 11.30 p.m. on the 2nd of July. Uh, Tony, you're, you like to scratch. You know the, uh, the ah and the fresh... Sample, the most common scratch samples. Do you yes, know I where do. that comes from? Ah, this stuff is really fresh. I mean, fresh. the first time I heard those things were... Hang on a minute. No, the show. Yeah, the show. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the first time that I heard that. But no, I don't know where they actually came from. So it actually comes from Fab Five Freddy's Change the Beat. And okay. it's at the the very end. It's like a, a B side of that record. There's like I think they called it the female version. Mm. And so basically, it has this like this this French woman saying, "I who knows what she's saying." And then at the very French stuff. yeah, so it's her like rapping. So they replace huh. the vocals with. It's a really actually weird version of the track. Like the it's the production's kind of all over the place. So it's like. There's some cool stuff in it, and then just really random stuff in it. It's, it's like 1982, real experimental hip hop right. stuff. Right. So I actually, um, when I Googled this, my source was a YouTube channel. So DJ Rob Swift, he's a former mm. member of the Executioners. Yeah. Right, right. Um, in September 2014, in September 2014, he became a professor at the New School for Liberal Arts in New York City. He's currently teaching the DJ Skills and Styles course. And what? his research includes hip hop history and culture, as Where? well as musical composition. I know what I'm using my GI Bill for. <laughs> as well as musical composition via turntable techniques. Where is this? This is uh, New the York? New School for Liberal Arts in New York City. No kidding. Isn't that a cool gig? Absolutely. Huh. So here's the uh, here's the clip. And um, so they made this this song. Uh, the, one of the producers on the song is a, is a guy by the name of Bill Laswell, <laughs> and Bill Laswell is. I'll be referencing him a lot throughout this course of the semester. Um, he helped pioneer the art of DJing with regards to recording music. Um, I've worked with him. He worked, he's worked with Heroes of Mine, Grand Mixer DST. And he helped produce this song. And at the end of the song, they wanted to figure out like a creative way of, of ending the track. So they got the engineer who was famous for saying, ah, that's fresh. Like everything that he liked, he'd say, ah, that's fresh. If a rapper was rapping and he's, his verse was like killer, ah, that's fresh. Or if a producer made a beat, ah, that's fresh. He'd always say that. So it became a joke in the studio and they got this guy to say, ah, that's fresh at the end of the song. But what they did was they added like effects to his voice. So it didn't really sound like the engineer voice that he had and Ah, that's fresh became this. Ah, that's fresh became this. 
he actually said was, ah, this stuff is really fresh. But they threw his voice through a... a vocoder. Yeah, vocoder or whatever, distorter. And his voice now sounds like all crazy, yes. So basically just the, uh, the audio engineer, whoever was responsible, it was just a catchphrase of his, mm -hmm. and they toss it on the end of this random B-side that hardly anybody's ever heard of. And now and it's like the most popularly scratched sample yeah, ever. Ever, <laughs> ever, ever. It was so Herbie Hancock's Rocket, that mm -hmm. was the, mm -hmm. the sample they used in that. Um, it's on every battle record ever, 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 yep, yep. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Ever, ever. <laughs> and, and also looking at uh, Professor Swift's uh, bio here, he's also the music producer for ESPN, and I was unaware of that. Wow. Oh, how about that? Mm. Uh, mm. Dang. That's pretty sweet. Man, like Mo with the Google Foo at the last minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> His Google is very strong. <laughs> uh, do you guys have any idea why records spin at 33 RPM, 45 RPM, and 78 RPM? Why those numbers? Mm, uh, 12 inches. Because math, Alex. <laughs> and 45, uh, 7 inches. And so this is. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind Wait, of a, a long answer. Are you ordering Subway or what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is kind of a long answer, but this comes from the Chicago Tribune in 1986. So I'm, I'm reaching back for this one. Okay. So throughout 1896, most recordings were made on cylinders, but that year, Emily or Emil, I'm not sure you say that, Emily Berliner introduced a new way to cut grooves into discs, resulting in a product that produced better sound than cylinder recordings. Because discs were also easier to store and more easily mass manufactured, they caught on quickly with the American public and soon captured the lion's share of the market. Those discs were played on a gramophone, which spun the records at 78 RPM. The selection of that speed was just happenstance. The inventor needed a motor to drive the record player, and he found one that turned the disc at 78 RPM. Although, actually, it was more like 78.26, something like that. Hmm. It was a fluke, really. The inventor found a motor that worked at a certain speed and invented the disc to accommodate the motor. In 1931, RCA Victor introduced the 33 and a third format an attempt to boost record sales that had been dropping since the stock market crashed. But the lack of turntables that spun at that speed, combined with the poor quality of the records in general, doomed the project to failure. Hmm. But the notion of a slower playing record persisted. Now, the obvious attraction there is that you can fit more music on right, <laughs> a record right. that spins slower. Right. Uh, getting more music out of the same size disc proved to be a perplexing technical problem. The slower the record spun, the worse the sound quality became. So in 1944, CBS commissioned more research into the long-playing record, and in 1947, achieved success. Peter Goldmark devised a record that held up to 300 grooves, to, uh, 300 grooves per inch. So up to then, there was only 85 grooves per inch. Mm. And it delivered high fidelity. The record, dubbed the Columbia Microgroove LP, was designed to rumble along at 33 and a third RPM. That was also essentially an arbitrary number, or more precisely, a final compromise between sound quality and length of play. So they could hold like 23 minutes per side. Right. The CBS folks were so convinced that they had the record of the future in their hands that they offered the new technology to their number one competitor, RCA Victor, to facilitate the mass conversion to 33 and a third. But RCA was less than enthusiastic, so CBS went at it alone and in 1948, and RCA Victor responded with the 45 in the following year. The struggle that followed is referred to as the Battle of the Speeds, and it went on for years. 
So the jukebox industry gave a big boost to that, the 45s. But classical music, Broadway albums made the 33 and a third format popular because you could actually fit the whole thing whole and listen thing. to it mm-hmm. without having to flip the record over. And by the 50s, 45 RPM had become the format for single records and 33 and a third got everything else. Mm-hmm. So... All that to say, apparently the origin of all the record playing speeds is that, given technolog- t- technological limitations and market considerations, every speed seemed like a good way to go at the time it was introduced. <laughs> the reason that the three speeds seem unrelated is that they are. I wish I could give you a more authoritative answer, but that's the way things go sometimes. No kidding. So there's really no great reason. They just, you know, they started that's with 78 just... because that was what the motor did. 33 was just a speed that they picked because it seemed to be a good compromise. And Wow. Yeah, 45 was a response. <laughs> Interesting. So I, I always thought, like, maybe there's something to do with, like, pi, and that's why 33 <laughs> and a third, and, like, yeah. there's some I, math in there. No, it's just arbitrary. When we were compiling this list of things to Google, I totally expected this to like you know require mind-blowing yeah like it's gonna require like a ti-80 calculator (laughs) like (laughs) there's no good reason they're just they're just numbers so trip suggested this one what's up with candy kids (laughs) (laughs) i mean really what's up with them i literally had to google that (laughs) what's up with candy kids um do you guys understand you all with candy? What we, we're oh, talking about candy yes. with a K, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, this comes from ravestuff.com. Ever wonder what those kids with bright, baggy, and colorful clothes at the raves are all about? They're commonly referred to as candy ravers or candy kids. The candy being referred to are the bracelets piled onto their arms made out of plastic beads that are usually color coordinated. Some of them have the person's name or another message spelled out on them. At the beginning of the night, the candy kids have multiple bracelets on their arms, and throughout the night, they give them away to their buddies or newfound friends as a token to remind them of the great time they had at the event. When candy kids give bracelets, bracelets to one another, it's called a candy trade. You can tell the candy kids apart from the others by their colorful choice of clothing, their glow accessories, visor hats, colored hair, and pleasant personalities. But the most important element of a candy kid is to be hyper-enthusiastic and practice plur- at each and every event. But did With they, one R or two R's. They put one R. Did it explain <laughs> how they do the trade? It did not. Okay, so it's a specific handshake where they go, like, peace, love, unity, respect, or whatever, and then they pull the bracelet on to the arm, but they're touching fingers the whole time doing, like... No, I had no idea that was a thing. <laughs> I didn't know until my girlfriend showed me. <laughs> Yeah. So when you know, I kind of came in a little bit after the the golden age of the rave, sure. and candy kids were always around, but it was always there was always a, a drug connotation around sure, that. Has sure. has that been your guys' well, experience? Is it like uh, with them specifically? Like they're no. they're the ones you go to to get drugs? Oh, you no, know? No. no, almost never. Those are the ones that the outsiders looking in would say those kids are on drugs. That's been my right, like right, that, but right. nothing like. That's the drug. Yeah, that's my right connect there. right there. Right, yeah. That's right. been my experience too. Like I've I've probably met more more like straight edgy kind of people Candy that do yeah. that. Yeah, if, you, even if not straight edgy, I mean, you know, you, even if you know, even if you were to make the assumption that most of the candy kids are on at least on drugs, like you know, having been in this scene for as long as we have, like my experience is, is that um, uh, most of the people that are dealing the drugs 
are not in that group because that no. group has so much attention yeah. pointed at them. You know what I mean? So like, you don't want a marquee, but like, here's where the guy you want to arrest, yeah. right here. Right. The guy wearing the neon has the drugs. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, you know, so yeah, candy kids get a bad rap because of you know the the way that they look. You know, in the scene that they're in, uh, but that's mostly by people who don't know the man. Any clock. Yeah. Any closet candy ravers in the room? Anybody uh, want to call themselves out? Mm. <laughs> there was nah. this brief period from like 97 to 97. <laughs> <laughs> I think I still have a pair of Jinkos in my there, closet yeah, somewhere. I mean, the there, there's Jinkos, a couple yeah. of pictures out there of me like with like the, the, the hard candy or the, the hard plastic like uh, visor yeah. Yeah. You know, rings and stuff like that. A couple of bracelets and stuff like that. But yeah, and then I... Then I found jungle. <laughs> <laughs> a little different. Then you got right. Yeah. Here's one. What's the most expensive turntable in the world? Mm. Anybody that, want to take aim at a price here? Is that gold? Current? Technique? Yeah. Was, it was, that new one? Uh, I don't the, think it's. I don't think it's brand new. Oh, I was going to say the GAEs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The techniques. <laughs> it's. Made out of anti-titanium or something. <laughs> yeah. Or unobtainium. Uh, unobtainium. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's notably north of $2,800. <laughs> For a turntable. Notably. Notably north? Yeah. But A, mm. as in singular. I, I, I picked that price because of the techniques. But it's, right, it's, right. That's not even close. So it's it, this has grand? to be like some like super high-end like audiophile... Uh, Probably belt driven. Tony guesses ten grand. What do you think, Mo? I'll go ten grand five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> ten grand five hundred one. <laughs> I'm gonna go with a dollar, Bob. A dollar, yeah. <laughs> um, or it's Drew now. Isn't it? Yeah, I was about to say Bob's piece out. <laughs> um, I'm I'll gonna. S- I'll say eighteen. Yeah, 18. I was gonna okay. say I was gonna shoot for fifteen or eighteen. Yeah. So the, according to Music Stack. The Goldman's Reference 2. This turntable is without doubt every music enthusiast's dream gadget, but only the uber-rich will be able to buy it mm. as the price tag reads a cool $300,000. Shut up. Does it come with a DJ? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, the guy from Africa that's <laughs> 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 for yeah. 10 days at a time. <laughs> DJ Odie? <laughs> There are only 25 on the planet. Wow. The, the Reference 2 turntable features a high degree of refinement and number of never-seen-before features. The turntable features a 20-kilogram platter machined to a hundredth of a millimeter, a motor vibration shielded by 15 kilograms of brass, and Teflon-insulated <laughs> signal-carrying electronics. Damn. Other specs include cog-free motor with low electrical and mechanical noise, a li- this is weird, a liquid nitrogen-rectified belt, Touch controls integrated in the tabletop, specifically designed uh, specifically designed Goldman T8 straight line tone arm with a total weight of 7 kilograms. Limited editions of 25 units are sold on subscription with a maximum production of 5 units per year. Damn. 300 grand. For what? I, I have no idea. What, like, I get the audiophile thing to a degree, mm-hmm. but like what... What song is worth hearing on a three hundred thousand dollar free bird, three hundred thousand dollar turntable? And then what are you plugging that into? You're not plugging that into your Bluetooth speaker, right? So you got to have you got to have some shit right. for that to go into. 
my function one. Yeah. <laughs> I'd listen to Freebird on it. I mean, just yeah. <laughs> so you, you said the tone arm was seven kilograms. Said, uh, yes, that's fifteen pounds. Fifteen pound tone arm. That's wow. got to destroy a piece of vinyl. You would think. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So well, I guess it's how it's, however it's weighted, though. Yeah, I guess it depends on the counterweight. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 Maybe okay. I wonder how heavy I, that I, is. I'm tracking. So Whew. if that's so, how how heavy is twenty kilograms? It's like almost forty-five pounds. So that's the platter Two. itself is forty-five. I'm sorry, how many Try carrying 20, those 20 in and out of a oh, right? Forty-four pounds for just the platter. Yeah. Yikes. I think a technique weighs about 30, right? Yeah, they're about... I can see this thing. And it's funny because all the European listeners are like, these morons can't even convert kilos to pounds. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Sorry to all my folks over in the the islands. Big up. How about world's largest vinyl collection? How big do you think that is? Uh, Personal collection. I saw something on Facebook the other day. Yeah, I saw something. It It was... probably a year ago where somebody had sold an obscene amount of records in like, I don't remember if it was South America or Mexico or something. It was a huge warehouse. Though. Yeah. But it, yeah, you saw it too. Mm-hmm. It, like it was a yep. huge warehouse. That's and like the guy. It, yeah. How many records Zero was that? Zero Freitas, I think is his name. Yeah. How many records mm, was that? I'm going to guess. Man. Now, is this, in, is this a personal collection? Yeah. Man, after seeing a warehouse, I'd have to say I don't know. I'm gonna go with two hundred fifty thousand. Any thoughts? Any other guesses? Four hundred. I, I I was gonna say I I I can't remember. Half a million is what's sticking out in my mind, but it's I think Keep it's going. more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. In the millions. Yeah. Six million. Did he? Wow. What? Yes. Did he? Buy, did he buy all the records? <laughs> Six million. Yep. Like all of them. Uh huh. Like all the records that were. Ever so recorded. To put that in perspective, in but he bought them for like two hundred bucks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at a thrift shop. Right. Uh, to put that in perspective, in 2014, the UK uh, sold the, the highest number of records that had sold in 20 years with 100 or 1.3 million albums. <laughs> so that figure is still only just over one uh, one fourth of that uh, guy's collection. Wow, it's crazy. And they were all Freebird. <laughs> it's just the if same I leave here tomorrow, according, <laughs> according to Forbes, Freitas only has time for bulk orders these days. Instead of purchasing a few at a time, he will simply buy an entire store's inventory when they close, as many record shops do, saving himself time and a good amount of money in the process. He's used this practice when outlets closed in New York City and his home country, adding thousands of titles to his ever-growing collection. Is this the dude you bought your collection from? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> but it sounds like I need to call him. <laughs> With the collection now well into the millions, a lot of Frida's resources and effort is now spent housing, cataloging, cleaning, and archiving the massive hall. That's He's, what I was going to say. Like, like yeah. I mean, how many is, dupes? Does it, I mean, I mean... Uh, well, he, he has a storage facility built outside of Sao Paulo in which he keeps his huge collection. He has a team of people that work constantly to make sure all his six million albums are accounted for and taken care of. It took him several decades to get to the five million point, but he says that he acquired a large collection this past fall, so fall of 2014, that added at least another million to his total. So this guy has six million records and a team that he yep. pays to clean his records, keep them, yeah, he's... And to find them. 
He seems no longer interested in one-off albums. Instead, he uses a large network of agents around the world to help him find large scores and to purchase other people's entire collections. Wow. If you're just getting into the vinyl world and want to have an impressive collection, go for it, but beware that the bar has been set pretty high. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. Yikes. So I want to have a little bit of fun with this. Uh, well, let's, let's do this one first. Uh, what is a break or a break beat? Mo, you want to take that one? I think you look this one up. And what's our source? So our source is DJ Zen. Breakbeat. The genre is basically a beat with a break or gap in the continuity of the snare and drum. The most common criteria for breakbeats are a clear drum and percussion in a 4-4 measure. So an example of that would be breakbeat music includes, or sorry, breakbeats have different, different genres. So general breakbeats, also called breakbeats. Funky beats, new school breaks, dark breaks, the Bristol sound, trip hop, big beat, jungle, drum and bass, and two-step are their different variations. So basically any kind of drum beat that's not is probably a break beat, right? Yeah, because, I mean, you know, with a lot of of the straight, you know, techno or house beat, you know, you got your kick drum on the one, two, three, and four, um... And in some, you know, some of them, they, they put a snare on the two and the four or, or even a clap, you know, so things like that. So, you know, you can keep your clap or snare on the two and the four, but then move those, those kick drums around a little bit, you know, take them off of the, off of the two and the four. And then all of a sudden you get that, yeah. whatever. But So isn't the funky drummer, isn't that oh, yeah, one yeah. of the original oh, yeah. break beats, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, well, hip hop, for example, at least originally, was largely based around breaks. Breaks yeah. that yep. you're, you know, when the the first breaks that you're talking about here, which is the, you know, uh, the part of the track where it breaks down into a more not maybe not beatless section. I don't know if I would Do say beatless, to, but yeah, like like when people say the beatless section, I consider that more of like the breakdown. The breakdown, but yeah. you know, but there, but there. Um, you know, are very notable sections, especially in like old funk and and uh, and uh, rhythm and blues and all of that stuff. Where the drum break, yeah, where yeah. the where it, it, like everybody just takes a break and leave it up to the drummer. And you know, sometimes it's you know four or eight bars. Sometimes it's you know sixteen or thirty-two, depending on how funky they wanted to get with it. <laughs> but um, there were some really notable ones. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. But with that, there's pro- there's probably a few key breaks that everyone has heard in one way, shape, or form, but just weren't aware of where they came from. Yes. So that brings us to our next little Google search. Oh, yeah? Yes. Um, so speaking to the, the the drum breaks that we were talking about, drum breaks are basically where the kind of the origins of hip-hop, mm. you know, break beats were, or a, uh, drum breaks were a huge part of that. And so the other thing I searched for is what are the most sampled beats of all time? So some of them you can probably expect, but we're going to go through the list here. This is according to whosampled.com, mm, mm-hmm. uh, which is a pretty cool site, by the way. You guys oh, yeah. Check out. I mean, you, they have a whole bunch of this stuff where you can f- you hear, like, 
whatever song and then whatever it came from and they put them side by side and you can compare i'm telling you it's one of the best things ever if you're ever trying to crate dig and 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 you hear a sample that you really like but you have no idea where it came from if they've got it 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 really helps with finding those samples and when you find the original sample sometimes you find other samples within that same old track that like Mm. wow yeah i mean yeah i love that site yeah yeah it's a really cool site um so what, I, I want to have a little bit of fun with this one, and so I'm going to say what the the, sample, the original track is, and then see if we can come up with any tracks that we like if we recognize it, oh, and then sure, see if we can come up with what or, yeah okay where it was what used. they were used in yeah. Right. So um, according to WhoSample.com, Ashley's Road Clip by the Soul Searchers, which came out in 1971. So here's what it sounds like. It says the sample starts at 2:19. So let's see. So right here. Let me back that up. I think I must have passed it. Pay attention to the the drums. Not everything else that's going on. Oh, um, Eric B and Rock Camp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, paid in full. Paid, paid in full. full. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really like deep in that. That's exactly the the example that they give here. So here's Eric B and Rock Paid in full. Obviously with a little, you know, 808 or something on top of it, but... Well, check this out. Since Norby Walters is our agency, right? True. Carol Lewis is our agent. Zakia and Fourth and Broadway is our Another one would be um Okay, so who are we rolling? Oh, uh, what's this what's it called? Rolling. Set Soho. adrift on memory bliss. Yeah, Soho Hippie Dawn. Chick. Dawn. Dawn. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Soho Hippie Chick. I think probably use that too. You know what I'm saying? It's together. Uh Come Undone by Duran Duran. At the seams. <laughs> <laughs> So that's Ashley's Road Clip by the Soul Searchers. Wow. Huh. Uh, the Big Beat by Billy Squire, yeah. 1980. Billy Squire. So this is the original. Oh, Run DMC. Yep. Uh, Yep, it's called Here We Go, Live at the Fun House. Okay. So here's the Run DMC version. How y'all feel? Yeah, skip ahead here real quick. See, Funky Fresh for 1983. DJ Jam Master Slow down just a little bit. I never would have thought they'd come Billy Squires off, right? And we are the crush grooving, the body moving, the record making, and the record breaking. And it goes kind of goes to show you like these early DJs in the 80s, like how talented they were. Oh, yeah. Here we go. 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 Here
because yeah, guys, there, were, there was no loop, there was no uh, right, yeah, there was no samplers back then. It was just uh, Jam Master J juggling between right. the one and two. Uh, more recent example, uh, 99 Problems, Jay-Z. Mm. Also mm. used in that. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not sure how to pronounce number eight. It's I think it's Hihachi? Hihache? It's H-I-H-A-C-H-E. It's by Lafayette Afro Rock Band in 1973. So here's what the original sounds like. Ghetto bastard. Mm-hmm. Naughty by nature. Yeah. yeah. See, we need to find a way we can make money. Stuff out. <laughs> or go work for Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> right. They just have people sitting in a room listening and answering real quick. <laughs> oh, you got a fancy computer? Let me sit there. <laughs> Let me introduce you to Trip and Mo. <laughs> So the example that they give um, here, they on who sampled, here on Who Sampled is Biz Marquee. Nobody, uh, oh, okay. yeah. Nobody beats the Biz. Yeah. Nobody beats the Biz. And there's a Steve Miller uh, sample in here, too. Yeah. I think it's Steve Miller that fly like an eagle. Is that him scratching on here? Biz, Biz? yeah. Okay. I think so. Yes, y'all to the like beating. You can even dance or just have a seat and listen to the yes, you are right. It's eating mentions here, coupling the break with traps from Steve Miller Band's Fly Like an Eagle. Marley Marl laid a laid a hit beat down for Biz Marquis Nobody Beats the Biz in nineteen eighty eight. For a more recent example, check out how Timbaland flipped it on Feel the Beat by LL Cool J in two thousand four. So number seven, Papa Was Two by Joe Tex. Nineteen sixty six. Let's see if you recognize this one. Trail. I know oh, this. Salt and pepper. Baby, you can call me that. I know this. This is a really awesome song. To ever come out isn't it? No. Did the third bass use that sample too? They might. Uh, yeah, you're you're getting there. Was it EPMD? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Jane. Yeah. Is the track that, at least the one that they mention here? So skip here. Hold up, man. We ain't bringing nothing up till I do this girl, man. Oh, well, you ain't gonna go into that there it is. Yeah, you know, I have to dis- was, was that strictly <coughs> business, was it? Yeah, it was, was it strictly business. Yeah. I recognized it from DOS Effects, Real Hip Hop. Okay. There's also Ice Cube's 24s with an L. All right, here's one I'm sure you guys oh, will know. Oh, wait, no. Uh, what you call it, too? Uh, Digital Underground. Do what you like. They use that part, that descending oh, piano piece. Yeah. That's the part I was hearing. Okay. Yeah, okay. Thousand <laughs> dollars. We we need to find a way trip. 
There if someone tells there was a game show in the eighties called Name That Tune. Remember yep, that? yep. Oh yeah. I can yeah. name that tune in one note. In one note, yeah. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> EPMD. Yeah. What? How did you do that? All right. Here's a uh, here's one that we all know. I'm sure. The Incredible Bongo Band. Oh. Apache. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fresh Prince. Yeah, Fresh Prince. <laughs> That's exactly where my head goes. <laughs> I've actually played this one in a couple of competitions. Oh, yeah? And people at first, they're looking at me like, what in the hell? But then, like, when it gets to the breakdown and they realize what it is, right. they're like, ah. Oh. They'll be like, doing the dance. <laughs> now, the bongo band is the original one? Incredible bongo band. I never knew that. So yeah, they give they give the example of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five Mm -hmm. on the wheels of steel, Mm -hmm. which is actually a different track than they actually came out with Apache. Yeah, Mm -hmm. where they they basically just kind of superimpose the whole song and redo it. Right. Uh, So yeah, we got to play that. This is probably the one that we're all more familiar with. (laughs) We need to link the. uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air video when they're when uh, they're trying to make money back to get to drive back home because they lost their car when they were gambling. I do the dance. It's hard to do sitting down. <laughs> Come on, do it. You know, you, you know what we're talking about. So yeah, Apache. Number five is "It's a New Day" by Skull Snaps, nineteen seventy-three. Here's a sample. Audio dynamite. No, that's uh. Tennessee. No. And that beat's been used a bunch. A bunch. Oh, we're just looking at the beat. Or are we looking at the whole sample? Well, not drum break. Oh, okay. Yeah. For the most part. Uh, yeah, I totally honed in on the. Because I know I know that mm-hmm. from somewhere. So here's "It's My Turn" by Steezo. Yeah. It was actually also used in, I didn't even pick this one up. This is one of my favorite hip hop tracks ever. It was in the Far Side's Passing Me By. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, they also mentioned Das Effects, Mike Checa. Okay. Um, slow it down a little bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, the Prodigy's Poison. Uh, Rob Dugan's Club to Death, which yeah. featured extensively on the soundtrack to The Matrix. Yep, yeah, can you hear that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm in, brother. 
Mm. The Winstons, 1969. We've all been waiting for it. What hasn't? What number is it? It's number four. How is that at number four? I was waiting for that to be last. That's what what they say. So here is the ever-popular Amen break. Let me see. It's 120-something. Yeah, 127. (laughs) I've got the 45 around here somewhere. Yeah, the the foundation of all drum and bass in all <laughs> er, not early West Coast '80s hip hop. Yeah, they yep. mentioned that in the article here too, because they say this pretty much based around hip hop. Mm-hmm. But they say this would have been number one if we included drum and bass. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll play it again because it's like six seconds and you'll miss it. Yeah, so, yep. so here it is again. Boom! A genre is born. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> now it slowed down significantly, and the one the one where most of you probably heard it for the first time was Straight Outta Compton. Yep, there yep, it is. Yep, I was gonna yep. say I was gonna see if you could pick that one up. So yeah. here's Straight Outta Compton and language warning mm-hmm. <laughs> for anyone who might be <laughs> having kids around. Yeah. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Same beat, just slowed down. Yep, yep. way down. Yeah, we're all bobbing our heads in here, yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. They mentioned King of the Beats by Mantronics. Um, I was going to say, this list could get pretty long. Yeah. yeah. Straight out of low cash by CB4. Yeah, yeah right. Because <laughs> <laughs> it beat you to the fat hoe. <laughs> all right, number three. How about Synthetic Substitution by Melvin Bliss, 1973? Never heard of that one. Here's the sample. Steady B, right? I'm going to start it over. Listen to the intro again. Yeah. I'm going to see if uh, there was one that popped in my head immediately. So here it is again. Hmm. How about this? You down with OPP? Uh, okay, some more naughty, naughty by nature. By nature. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That part of what got me is the piano. Yeah, it's hard it's to like focus on the break. Hop. Yeah, it's hard um, to focus on the break when, when as soon as samples start coming in. So yeah, Naughty by Nature. Um, it was on uh, Wu-Tang Clan's Bring to Ruckus. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then yeah. they give the example of Ultramagnetic MCs, Critical yeah. Breakdown, or Ego Trip. Yeah, Ultramagnetic. That's Steady Beat. Ego Tripping. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there it is right there. <laughs> yep. Party people's in the place to be. Just for you, it's the Ultramagnetic MC. Yeah, that's uh, AM, AMG MCs. Trunk of Funk. Yeah. AMG, is that what you yeah, said? Trunk yeah. of Funk, yeah. Can uh, you feel it, Trunk of Funk? Yeah, can, I didn't, you know, I didn't get into AMG that whole uh, that much. I didn't either. I knew... Uh, Better have my money. <laughs> exactly. That's the only if you if you completely need, if, ridiculously vulgar song. Yeah, that's the only <laughs> AMG song you ever really needed to know. <laughs> uh, there were several love songs on that album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right, they, number two, they have Funky Drummer. Okay. James okay. Brown, 1970. No list would be complete without this. No. One. So this And he, what's his name? The, the drummer's name. Uh, oh, is it man. Clive? Yeah, Clive something. He, he finally got recognized last year and credited for the funky drummer break. Uh, Clyde Stubblefield. Yeah. That's it. it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the Almond, or not the Almond break. It was the, or was it the Almond? No, it was for the funky drummer break because there was a documentary about That's it. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. They, and the, guy that yeah. Raised, the guy that did the documentary raised a bunch of money and gave it to him because he never right. got paid a dime for it. Well, but what he's thinking, the same thing happened with the, with, uh, the Winstons too because the, Winston. the, like oh, yeah. the Winstons, they weren't particularly uh, successful and they had eventually yeah. broken up and, and just, you know, gone on and, and, and lived their lives or whatever. Well, then eventually, like 20, 30 years later, they find out that they're, that, that it, one, that, that one, that six break, second sample. Yeah. becomes like the foundation of <laughs> for like two genres and for two genres. Yeah. And, and they never saw a, a dime, dime of any it. of it. So then there was like this big, like GoFundMe or Kickstarter campaign or whatever. And I think if I remember right, I'm, I'm I'm not looking this up, so I could have the details wrong. But uh, I believe the drummer passed away, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, anyway, the the money that they had raised together went to the surviving band members and the family of the drummer. And it wasn't like some huge amount of money, but like they were all like super appreciative. Like, yeah, just on general pencil, anyone that's ever heard a hip hop song needs to donate a dollar. Right. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and like, you know, it went out to, you know, a bunch of like the drum and bass community and hip hop communities, you know, Hey producers, you know, Imagine if somebody was ripping your shit off and never paid you a dime <laughs> yeah. for it. You know, chipping a You'd couple of elite. bucks for every time that you've yeah. ever dropped the Amen break. Your sodium levels would be elevated. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. So the Funky Drummer break appears at uh, 5 minutes and 33 seconds in the track called Funky Drummer. And here's what it sounds like. One, two, three, four, get it! Soul Brother number one. James Brown. So, what comes to mind for you guys for sampling from now on? <laughs> All of them. Yeah. What, what, what pops in your head? Any, anything? Any stand out? I can tell you what mine was. Um, Sublime. Oh, nice. That's a good one. Nice. <laughs> Uh, was it uh, a bad Scarlet fish? Begonias? Oh, it's Scarlet Begonias. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, man, you dug for that one. Like, <laughs> what popped into my head was uh, LL. Mama said, "Knock you out." Mm. Oh, uh, yeah, sped up. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We drink some mushroom tea. Don't call it a comeback. Yeah, I mean, there's some other stuff layered in there, but yeah. They also mention, what is it? Uh, Sweet Tea and Jazzy Joyce, It's My Beat. Um, Public Enemy, Bring the Noise and Mm. Fight the Power, both used it. Yeah, how did I, ooh. Uh, Big Daddy Kane's Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's the the list is probably a mile long yeah. on that one. <laughs> so, 
So now we're down to the, what, number one? The number one that they have listed is Impeach the President by the Honey Drippers. Get out. Get out. That's, That's what they say. Totally not even, like, the one that, I, there was one that, like, that, okay, so obviously I, I, I would have thought and would have put Amen Brother right at the top, mm -hmm. but there's one that didn't even make the list. Which one? Yeah? Yeah, I would have thought Lynn Collins, Think. The think break is what it's called, but okay, we'll come, we'll come, yeah, back. we'll come back. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so here's what the right. Sample. That's well, probably because it didn't include Jim and Mays. Here's what impeach the president sounds like. <clears throat> Tell me what pops in your head. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, what you call it? Uh, Biggie. Biggie. Yeah. 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 I think they got something they want to say. Um. It's a Big Daddy song with this. Oh, milk uh, is on the mic. You can say uh, milk in audio too. Yeah. yeah. Yep. What more can I say? Top, Top villain. villain. That's yep. what came in my yeah, head. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but here's uh, here's Unbelievable by Biggie. Yep. Yeah. That's what I heard. Biggie, Biggie, Biggie Smalls is the illest. Big up to Christopher Wallace. <laughs> Yeah, top top villains what came into my head, and I think it's because it's like it's Stop just a straight it. sample, yeah. like it's not modified yeah. at all. Not at all, yeah. so, right? <laughs> like, uh, pretty sure I still have that still. on vinyl. They had their airbrush sweatshirts on, red ball caps, yeah. and talking about like the. The power of music. I remember my son playing. Uh, my oldest son. He was around ten o'clock, ten years old at the time, but he was playing uh, Tony Hawk Skater Two, mm -hmm. and it had a bunch of old school tracks. And I remember that song being on there. And he was sitting there, stop scheming and looking hard. And he's playing. <laughs> he's playing like skateboard. I was like, How do you know that? I was like, Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. What was the one that you said, Trip? The think break. The think break. What, what's the actual track? Uh, think thing? about it. Yep. Think, okay. Yeah. Right, here's Lynn Collins. Think. Recognize too. that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to go far. I think it's a, a no, but even this part. Yeah. I can't think of anything on the top of my head, but it's recognizable. Yeah. 
Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. There you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> it takes two to make it out of sight. <laughs> that yeah, that did take long. Yeah. And of course, like it's so uh, like the real Roxanne right there. That piece. Roxanne is on a roll. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, like it, and I mean, like of course, Rob Bass Easy Rock is like the the number one thing that comes to the top of your mind. But yeah, if you were to include drum and bass as well, like that would probably be number two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's going to wrap up our first Google episode. I think we'll try to do that again in the future, see if we can come yeah. up with some cool yeah. things to look up and just random bits of trivia, maybe toss some weird ones in there and just have a little fun with it. And yeah, I like that whole uh, the sample piece. Yeah. Yeah. If you yeah. all got any crazy ones out there, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, post up your, your favorite samples and where they came from. Yeah, yep. and put the original with there. With the song, with the new track. That's that, that's always the fun part. Is trying oh, to yeah. hear it. Oh yeah. Thank you guys so much, and take care. We'll see you next week. See ya later. Later. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com/passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. Kind of like when someone's colorblind, you don't know they're colorblind until yeah. you know they look like they got dressed in the closet. You know? <laughs> well, for me, I I didn't even know until the military told me. Yeah, yeah I'd really? show up. It, yeah, you know those little color tests. Just uh-huh. this little digression, but you know those color tests where they hide uh, patterns, yeah. patterns, uh, numbers, shapes, and things inside of like uh, groups of circles. Uh, that are you know different colors. slightly different <laughs> colors, or some of them are drastically different colors, and like they got to one set of placards, and I'm like, uh, I don't know, star A circle, yeah, and then get to the next one, <laughs> seven, <I don't>, like, <laughs> couple of wavy lines, right. yeah. it's Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters reference, yeah. sailboat, um, so. Um, but yeah, so then you know because of that particular placard, it wasn't the type of color blindness that like maybe eliminated you. Yeah, mm-hmm. that eliminated me, and it didn't make me super good at like you know finding camouflage or you know whatever or so, bombs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they were just like, eh, it's kind of you know it's a, it's a non issue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your rifle and some grenades. <laughs>